Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Story Box. Today, I have Jamie Sears on the show for you all. Now, Jamie is a wife, mother of five children, believe it or not, a former third grade teacher and creator of the Not So Wimpy Teacher, an education blog that spans across Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, email, and now a brilliant new book which is titled How to Love Teaching Again, which kicks a lot of myths that may... That may occur amongst a lot of teachers, such as I'll never be one of the perfect teachers. My self-worth is defined by my students' test scores. The only way to get it all done is to work on weekends. But this book really kicks all those myths to the curb and replaces them with practical tips to defeat burnout, overcome perfectionism, and restore the joy of teaching. It seems like a lot of teachers are leaving education at the moment. And we do discuss a lot in this conversation about why a lot of teachers not just believe these myths, and that's part of the reason why they leave. A majority of the reasons why a ton of teachers are leaving education at the moment is because they're not getting enough support from the government. Politicians are indoctrinating uh, the educational system in such a way that makes teachers feel like they, they, they can't actually be a proper teacher. It's more about indoctrination than it is about real teaching. So politics has a lot to say uh, and they don't really support teachers the way that they need to be supported. And Jamie and I discuss all of this and so much more in our conversation. I know that you guys are going to love it because it covers a lot of uh, a lot of areas within teaching and education that people should be aware of, especially the fact that there are uh, teaching is such an amazing profession. I mean, I went to university for a little bit to want to become a teacher one day, and I eventually left because I saw the rubbish and the craziness that is going on at the moment with what they are teaching and indoctrinating teachers with. So it's no wonder why a lot of them are choosing to leave. But that shouldn't be the case. Teachers should have uh, the, the I, I guess you could use it, uh, teachers should want to stay teaching because it is a noble and it's a needed profession. So my friends, I hope that you enjoy this one. If you do get a lot out of it, please share it around to your friends and your family. If you do want to see the full video, it's available now on YouTube. I'll link that in the show notes below for you guys to check out. But I appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to come back and supporting the show. It means a lot to me. And I know that you guys are seeing a huge difference with the kind of conversations that are being put out there for all of you uh, to enjoy and learn from. Also, my friends, don't forget that I've teamed up with the incredible Zach and Joel Perna of Slouch Potato, the loungewear company and also the company that creates the most comfiest pajamas at the same time that they happen to be loungewear too. It's 
Honestly, incredible. I, they're my favorite clothes to wear pretty much anywhere and nobody can really tell the difference. You're in your PJs, or at least I can't and some of my friends can't either and hopefully you guys can't when, you, when you're watching the video. But if you want 10% off, you can go to slouchpotato.com and at checkout use discount code STORYBOX. That is STORYBOX for 10% off. Just head to slouchpotato.com for 10% off your order and I highly encourage you guys if you want some comfy clothes to go there. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It's time to journey with me in this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Jamie Sears. Thank you so much for having me. This is an honor. It's an honor to have you here because like I mentioned in the intro just a second ago, I wanted to be a teacher at one point and you were actually a former third grade teacher in in your life and you then you started the not so wimpy teacher i love the title by the way and for those of you that are on the video and can see behind jamie she's got an incredible logo the paper plane i think it's just really really cool (laughs) thank you the first question i did want to ask you jamie is how are things going in your world at the moment? You got a new book coming out. How are the feelings going for you currently? Yes, I am so incredibly excited. I kind of feel like I'm living on cloud nine right now because I've wanted to be an author since I was eight years old. And so I won't tell you how old I am, but it's been a long wait to get to see this to this come to fruition. And I'm just relishing in all of it. I am really passionate about making sure that the teachers who need this book get it in their hands. Why did you want to always write a book ever since the age of eight? What was it about writing a book for you? I remember being eight years old and sitting outside during recess. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was sitting outside at recess with a thesaurus writing books. And it was because I was an avid reader that I thought, I want to be an author when I grow up. I want to be like Anna Martin. She wrote the Babysitter's Club books. And I thought, I want to be just like her. And I would even write her letters and say, hey, how do you become an author? That's the career I wanted to go into when I was a child. I just thought it must be the coolest job. And then, you know, I, I go through life and I actually had a career as a lobbyist before I became a teacher. And I kind of had let go of this whole author idea. And then when I started Not So Wimpy Teacher, one day it just occurred to me that I could help more teachers if I put it in a book. Like it would be more accessible to teachers. And one day I was sitting there and I said, I have got to write this book. And so began the journey of figuring out how to write books because Anna Martin did not actually write me back and tell me how to publish a book. She did send me her autograph though, but (laughs) I had to go about just like Googling and figuring it out, hiring a coach and figuring out how to write a book, not just to make my childhood dream come true. Although that is so exciting. I realized I had a much bigger calling. I was going to write a fiction book back when I was eight years old, but the reality is that what's happening in the world of education is scary. Teachers are leaving the profession faster than we can train new ones to take their place, which means we have fewer teachers and class sizes get bigger. The amount of time that it takes, the resources it takes increase. And therefore the burnout just continues to get worse and worse for educators. And these are These are teachers who dreamed of being a teacher since they were eight years old. And I want the teachers who truly want to be a teacher to be able to stay, to be able to afford to stay in the classroom. And so I realized I have a mission. I've got to write my tips and strategies in a nonfiction book and get it out into the world so that teachers who truly want to stay in the profession can do so. I think teaching is a very noble profession. And I think teachers don't get enough credit for what they have to do and what they have to put up with. I mean, they're having to teach a child most of the time and then sometimes teenagers, not sometimes, all the time, teenagers, how to really learn important and key concepts. And they're not really paid that much. They're not really appreciated all that much either. I feel for teachers in the public system. I mean, there are some great teachers there. 
but there are also some teachers that might not be so great, but that's not necessarily all their fault. Or is it? Uh-huh. There's, there's a big question. In every, yeah, in every profession, there are maybe some who should be in the profession, and that's true. But I think that we can agree that the majority of teachers are in it because they absolutely love students. Now, if they're struggling in the classroom, a lot of times it's because of external things happening in the educational system. It's a lack of resources. It's the large classroom sizes. It's the lack of curriculum. It's there aren't enough aides, counselors, and other support staff that are backing them up. And honestly, when I talk to my audience about what they need, yeah, they say money, but more than anything, they they want respect. They want to be treated like a professional. And so there are a lot of things that make teaching very challenging, even for the teacher who desperately wants to do an amazing job for their students. When we say a lot of teachers are actually leaving the profession now in in today's day and age, what do you think has, has gone on? What is the main differences here regarding teachers wanting to leave versus back in say, even 20, 30 years ago when you didn't have that many teachers that were leaving? Well, the teacher lifespan has always been shorter than some professions, about a five-year span, which is, that's not very long. When you think about it, it takes four years to get a bachelor's degree to become a teacher. The fact that they're leaving within five, they haven't even paid off their student loans and they're already leaving. But that number is starting to go down to is three years as the average that is the teacher spending in the classroom. And I think the pandemic did exasperate the problem. I, I truly believe that, that that happened, but also, I mean, you see the economy is struggling right now when teachers aren't getting paid much and they're living paycheck to paycheck, you know, who's hit hardest are those types of people. And so I read this today and it, it really hit me hard when I read it. And it said something about how teachers are working so hard so that their students will be able to be successful in college while they don't even make enough money to send their own children to college. And there just haven't been very many cost of living raises for teachers and they just can't afford to teach anymore. And there's teachers in my community who talk about how they left teaching and they got a bartending job and they work three nights a week and make more money. Or they got a job managing a fast food restaurant and they make more money. It's hard not to leave a profess- the profession when you, you if you can't afford to put a roof over your family's head, then you have to leave even if your heart remains in the classroom. Is this... I hate to get into this, but is this more of a a political issue, you think? There's a lot of politics in education. I mean, government funds education. And so you can't really have education without some politics, for sure. I do think that most people, regardless of your political affiliation, agree that teachers probably don't get paid enough and that teachers do amazing work. Now, how we go about funding education is really where the politics start to come into it. So I don't know how much you do want to get into it. Or <laughs> So the main, main reasons why teachers leave the profession you were saying earlier is, well, they don't feel respected enough, but also they're going elsewhere to get more money. The economy is the way that it is. A lot of people are struggling. They've still got heavy student loans. I guess from your understanding and your perspective, how would we go about fixing that issue if we could? Absolutely. And so definitely teacher raises are a great first step. And a lot of states here in the U.S., legislation proposed to give give teacher raises. There's even some federal legislation. And that would go a long way, right? Because if we can at least afford to take care of our families, then staying in the teaching job is a possibility. But if we can't afford to take care of our family, it's not even a possibility. So that's a really good first step. But really, as 
the world has to start coming to terms with what are teachers actually doing in the classroom because they're doing so much more than most people realize. And once we start to really listen to teachers and what's happening in the classroom, when we start to respect them as the professional, when we start to let them choose what books they read to students, have some autonomy in the classroom, teachers are going to stay. They truly, you know, the whole idea, we do it for the kids. They do. They do it for the kids and they want to be respected and make a reasonable salary. And so I think it's talking a lot more with non-educators. When I share, I just go to like the dentist and I'm like, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, they got their hands in your mouth. And you can't really talk very well. And I'm like, oh, I sell resources to teachers. And they, they're like, oh, like pencils. And I'm like, no, like, like their workbook pages, their activities, their curriculum. And they're like, teachers buy that? And I'm like, yeah, schools don't provide that. But that's the kind of misconception. If you're not in education, you think that a teacher walks into a classroom and there's bookshelves and there's bulletin boards and there's workbooks and textbooks and a a classroom library. None of that exists when a teacher walks into the classroom. And we start to understand what that, what it really means. Like they walk into an empty room and they make magic happen with almost no resources. When we start to respect the fact that they can make that happen, I think that we will be a little bit closer to coming up with solutions. My audience, they're really tired of working 60 hours per week and not feeling appreciated. What does it mean to be a good teacher? I love that question. In my early days of teaching, I thought it meant high test scores and a cute, a cute classroom, like the ones I saw on Pinterest. And I thought it was the teacher who stayed until it was dark. These were myths I told myself. And I write about that in my book. These were myths I told myself. And while I was trying to attain this idea of a great teacher, I realized I was no longer a great wife. I was no longer a great mom. I didn't even have hobbies. I wasn't even great at just being me. I wasn't taking care of myself. And so I had to really reflect on that very question. What is a great teacher? Mm. And I decided that a definition of success, whatever career you're in or role you're in as a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, whatever, it should be personal. What it means for me to be a good teacher doesn't have to be the same as another teacher. And I also believe that our definition of what it means to be a good teacher needs to be things we have control over, things that we can do. And so for me, being a good teacher means helping my students to learn to love learning. That's it. It it isn't that they get an A on every exam and that they pass the state testing. It's not even about whether they graduate. None of that. It's do they love learning? Because here's what I know. If I help my students to love learning, they are going to succeed on all those other things, the the things that society uses to decide if I'm doing a good job as a teacher. And so every day as I drive home, I can ask myself, did I help any of my students learn to love learning today? Oh, I helped somebody find a book that they love. I'm helping them love reading. Now I know that I am a successful teacher. This definition of success is so much more attainable. I have control over it. Plus, it evokes some passion in me because for me, helping a student love to learn is why I became a teacher. It's what I love about being a teacher. And so I can get excited about this definition of success. I was not excited about passes standardized testing. That just didn't pump me up. Unfortunately, at school and even in society, teachers are generally judged by those test scores. But I've learned that if we write our own definition of success, oftentimes it can lead to increased test scores too. It's sort of like a a second thing that happens after we reach our definition of success. But my definition of success also meant working no more than 40 hours per week. Mm. I put that in my definition of success, which for most teachers, they're working 60 plus hours. And I decided I was only a successful teacher if I learned to work 40 hours. Now, that's a totally different goal than trying to work as many hours as possible. So now I'm looking for ways to cut back my hours because I know that if I go home and I have a life with my family and I get good food and have time to move my body and get good night's sleep, that I come back the next morning 
more excited and energetic about what we're going to do in the classroom. And so I rewrote my definition of success and I'm helping teachers in my in the first chapter of my book. We have to write what the heck success means to us individually. Teaching young people to fall in love with a learning process, I think is an admirable thing to do because there's not a lot of kids that actually love the learning process because of their afraid of that test score that comes at the end. Like you're going to showcase exactly what you've learned. Yeah. Students students, uh, exhibit a lot of anxiety symptoms in the classroom because of testing and grades and this uh, idea that they have to perform a certain way in order to be successful. So as we redefine what it means to be a good teacher, it helps us to have a better ability to help students redefine what it means to be a good student too. It isn't always going to be getting A's. Sometimes it's going to be trying something so hard that you actually fail at first. Mm-hmm. And that can be a better learning experience than the person who always got an A because they didn't try something hard. And so I think that writing definitions of success that are individualized in all areas of our lives really changes your outlook on your your role and your what you're going to do with your time every single day. And also teaching the child that it's going to be okay if they don't necessarily pass this kind of exam because I think society puts so much pressure on the child in order to succeed, in order to get the A so that they can go to university, so that they can study certain things, they can uh, have this massive debt on their shoulders to get into a career, to try and pay it off, which ends up being they're more stressed out than ever before because they're trying to get the job that they were supposed to get so they could pay off this massive educational debt that they've got. And if they don't pass, then they're somehow not worth anything anymore in society. I think it's a backwards Mm -hmm. system, but teachers being able to teach a child, hey, you need to fall in love with learning because learning is great. It's going to be beneficial for you. And it's okay if you don't pass this exam because at least we know that you loved this aspect of actually learning and if it wasn't for the test if we could actually just have this free space and ask you questions to see whether or not you've retained the information then that's probably going to be more beneficial for the child and not as stressed or pressured because i guess there's also research done for kids that are overly stressed and overly pressured they don't perform as well in the exam that, that's yeah. my story. <laughs> Absolutely. No, there are bad test takers out there for sure. Yeah. And so a test, really, it's hard for a test to show your intelligence. And unfortunately, we use tests all the time to decide how intelligent students are and how good the teacher is who gave them that test. And it's it, it is a sad part of our educational system that it's now so much testing that teachers are complaining they don't even have time to teach because there's so many tests that they have to give. And so that's another area of reform in the educational system is eliminating or at least significantly decreasing the amount of testing that we're giving to students so that we can actually spend more time teaching, learning, growing, exploring inside of the classroom. I mean, give me an assignment any day of the week. I'm happy to do it because I'm a I'm a thinker. I love having the time to research things, to ask people questions and then form my answer that way, not having this uh, an hour long or two hour long quiz or I've got to write answers out and it's got to be exactly what the teacher is looking for. It's got to be the perfect answer, word for word almost. I mean, that for me is not beneficial for my learning capacity at all. <laughs> yeah, and it's really damage. not. It's not really helping you in life. How often in life do you have to do this? In life, we have Google. In mm. life, we have resources at our fingertips. But standardized testing is like sit at a desk. All the walls have to be covered so you can't see anything. And it's like, okay, bu- bubble in your answers now without getting to look at anything. Yeah. When in life do we actually have to do that? Like that doesn't train you to be great in any profession other than, you know, bubbling. I mean, that's like the profession you're learning. And so standardized testing, it's 
it really is a, a terrible way to decide on funding for schools. It's a terrible way to decide on teacher performance. And it's certainly terrible way for our students to think about their own self-worth in the classroom. And so, yes, lots of changes could happen to our educational system if we relooked at testing alone. And that, I mean, a lot of teachers are so tired of that because the tests are used to decide if they're good enough. How a student does on these bubbling exams is used to decide whether or not you get to have a contract next year, whether you get to keep coming back and doing this job that is not even paying you a living wage. I was speaking with uh, Dr. Rena Bliss from Rutgers University. She's a, a professor there. And um, she has recently written the book, Rethinking Intelligence. And this whole, for many, many years, people have relied on intelligence testing. We want the cream of the crop, so to speak. So we can send them to the best kind of universities. So it'll be the best kind of individual for society. But then what happens to the people that don't do so well on those IQ tests? Does that mean they're dumb? No, doesn't at all. But I, I guess from your perspective as a teacher, why do you think we have relied so much on testing on in this whole brief, this whole idea of what intelligence actually is from a test? Honestly, I think it's very political why we have so much testing. And I think it's because we don't actually trust the teachers in the classroom. Mm. I learned as a teacher, see, as a student, I thought that they were giving me this test to see if I was smart enough. But as a teacher, I realized they were giving students this test to see if I was good enough to continue being a teacher. And government is scared to give the schools money without proof that they're doing a good enough job. So this testing is supposed to be proof. And if schools here in the U.S., if schools don't do well on their testing a certain number of years, they can they have to fire a certain percentage of the teachers. They have to get rid of the administrators because how the students do on the test is used to judge how good the educators are. Oh, that's shocking. And you have to have good test scores to get the funding. So now we're kind of between a rock and a hard place where administrators are coming to us like, okay, teachers, how can we raise test scores? We're going to raise test scores. That's our big job. Raise the test scores because they need the money to be able to keep paying the teachers and getting the resources and funding the school. And so we're working our butts off for good test scores just to get the limited funding from the government. And so, yeah, testing is so much more on, is the teacher good enough? If there was a trust of the teacher to be a professional, we wouldn't need nearly as much testing. So the government provides funding based on test scores from students. It's not the only factor. It is a factor, though. There, and, and every state is going to be a little bit different, of course, but it is a factor for how schools get funded. They may get a certain amount of money per student, but they get additional money based on what the test scores were. And schools are hurting. They need the money. And so we start chasing the test scores in order to get the money we need to be able to fund the school that our students need. But now we're so busy test testing that we can't even teach. Is this for public and private? I can speak mostly to public schools. Yeah. Private is going to be a little bit different because how they get their funding is so very different, but they still have to chase those test scores because that's how they prove that they're a good enough private school for you to invest money in sending your, your children there. So there's still that chasing a test score in order to get the money. This is, that's crazy. So no, you got teachers that are stressing themselves out, trying to get these test scores, trying to get these stressed kids to get these test scores so therefore they can continue trying to teach, but they're just trying to get these kids. Oh, that's, that's messed up. <laughs> and here's the thing, teachers, we just, we love these kids and we want them to feel loved. We want them to feel valued. We want them to go on and be successful, whatever that means to them. But in order to do that, we do have to fall in line to what's required of us. And that is, you know, there, there's actually a ton 
of requirements. There's not very much autonomy for teachers. So we have to fall in line and use the books they tell us to use. We have to fall in line and give the assessments, the number of grades we're required to have. You know, some schools will tell you exactly how many minutes you're allowed to teach math each day versus how many minutes you're allowed to teach reading. And there's a lot of teachers who are like, hey, I went to school to be a teacher. Like, trust me to make some decisions in the classroom. And when you're not trusted, you don't love your job that much. And so we just see more and more teachers leave and go somewhere where they're going to feel appreciated. Are you happy with the curriculum, the teaching curriculum? Are we teaching kids the right kind of things? Well, here in the U.S., we don't, there's hundreds and hundreds of curriculum you can choose from. Most of them are made by big publishing companies. And so obviously they're they're trying to make money. I mean, that, that's what business does. That's not inherently wrong, but it is not always the best curriculum out there, but they have more money to sell that curriculum to schools through their marketing. So I didn't love the curriculum we had. First of all, we didn't have much. And there is this idea that teachers have all the curriculum they need. Most teachers don't. Uh, there's kind of two two sets of teachers. There's a teacher with the forced curriculum. The school picked it, told them they had to do it, even though they're not seeing any growth from their students. Or there's the teacher who doesn't have any curriculum and is expected to either buy it or create it themselves. And so I was, I had some curriculum that I was expected to use, and then other subjects I had nothing. And so I was creating it. I ended up making almost everything my students used, and that's how I started my business actually because. I was trying to learn as fast as I could about how to create curriculum. And I thought, what if I if I could sell a little of what I've created, then maybe I can make 20 bucks a month. If I made 20 bucks, I would put it right back into buying stuff for my students. Maybe I could buy something that was more complex. I didn't know how to create yet or would take too much time. And I didn't have that time to create. So my goal, I put up a few activities for sale to other teachers. And I thought $20 a month that I could reinvest to buy the resources that I knew would be best for my students. So there's a lot of research that I'd have to go into it by the teacher because not all curriculum is created equal. And so that's how Not So Wimpy Teacher was actually born 10 years ago. So why did you decide essentially to leave being a teacher, start the Not So Wimpy Teacher, and what does the Not So Wimpy Teacher provide for teachers and administrators in that? Yeah. So I started Not So Wimpy Teacher while I was still teaching because I was creating all of these resources for my students. And um, I was managing both. I was teaching and running a business, although it took me a while to realize I had a business because remember, I was just trying to get 20 bucks a month. But that quickly um, just blew up because teachers loved the activities that I was creating they actually helped our students and they were simple to use. And um, I loved doing both, but it was a lot because being a teacher is a lot. Also owning a business is a lot. And I was doing both. I think I would have continued doing that though, because I had really great systems. That's what I really teach in my book are those systems. And so I loved teaching and I loved my business, but physically my health wasn't good. I have epilepsy. And so I was having seizures at school. I really felt that it caused anxiety for my students, never knowing when I was going to have a seizure and that they would have to help me if I did. I got to this point where I had to make a hard decision and I had to leave education before I wanted to. I at least had to leave the classroom before I wanted to. And when I left the classroom, I promised my community, but also myself, I'm not leaving education. In fact, I'm going to use this extra time I have now to make a bigger impact. I'll be able to make better curriculum because I have more time to do it. And I will be able to deliver more training sessions. I'll be able to do more research. I'll just devote my time to helping the educators who can stay in the classroom. And so that's what I've been doing. And that's how I grew Not So Whippy Teacher. We now have over 500 resources in our online store that teachers can use in their classroom. We deliver professional development, both free and paid opportunities throughout the year. We have huge Facebook groups where teachers of different grade levels can come and have community, ask the questions like, hey, how are you teaching multiplying fractions? Because it's not going well in my classroom. Give me some tips. These types of things that teachers just need. They just need other teachers to run ideas by. Or other teachers say, I'm having a really rough day. I'm thinking about leaving teaching. Help me out here. 
Um, so that's what Not So Be Teacher really does. We provide simple, easy to use resources. We provide professional development that actually works and we provide community. I've got two questions coming from that. So my first one is, how is your epilepsy today? I am doing really good. I've only had a few a few instances since leaving the classroom. And so I do feel like taking care of my health was a good decision for me personally and for my family. How does one manage that or go about managing it? Um, it's kind of hard because I don't know exactly what causes my seizures. Some people do and some people don't. And I don't know what causes my seizures. Uh, most of them happen in my sleep, but uh, a lot of them were happening crazily while I was doing read alouds at school. That's when I was having a lot of seizures in, in the classroom. And so I don't know really how to stop them because I don't know what causes them. But I do think that having two full-time jobs it probably wasn't great for my health, but I loved them both. So it was so hard to choose between them. But I think I made the right decision, both for me and my family, but also because of what it's allowed me to do for teachers around the country. I wouldn't have had nearly the time to work on the massive projects that we do now while I was still teaching, even though I had great systems. I didn't have great enough systems to have two completely full-time jobs. And while you're doing those two full-time jobs, how many kids did you have at that time? <laughs> I had four at the time. And I really dreamed about having more, but I I just knew I didn't have, one, I didn't have the financial ability to have more children as a teacher. And I also knew I didn't have the time to do so. And so when I did leave the classroom, after I got really settled, I re-explored and I thought, I'm going to go after what I want personally too. I have not prioritized me personally in a long time. And so we've had two more children since. So now we have a total of six children, ages 19 to three months. I do not know how in the world you do it, Jamie. You are... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're incredible human being. Being able to run a massive company and then run a family at the same time. So I, I can only imagine stress being a contributing factor to seizures and, and that sort of thing. But I wanted to go back to my second question from your other response, which is did you face a lot of like backlash in terms of you creating these materials from Kind of like this curriculum system. I mean, it seems like you're going, you're you're giving people other options to use, but did you face much blowback at all? Honestly, because there isn't, there weren't great options. Lots of teachers are creating their own curriculum, and lots of teachers are selling that curriculum too. Because to be real honest, as a teacher. You're not making enough money to pay your bills, so it's not uncommon for teachers to need a side hustle just to put a roof over their head. And a great side hustle is to sell the things you're already creating in your classroom. And so I don't I don't know if I got backlash. I have a lot of competition, but I love that because I want teachers to have the resources they want and need in their classrooms. But what I'd love to see, what I'd love to see happen is for administrators to start being the ones to pay for the resources rather than teachers. That's what I'd love to see happen right now. Teachers are buying from me and I, I make my prices so much lower than big box curriculum. But still, every $5 counts to a teacher. And so we're really exploring ideas all the time about how can we help teachers to get this funding from somewhere else? Because, I mean, doctors don't pay for their own band-aids and, and pills and things, but teachers are paying for their own curriculum, their own pencils, their own copy paper. When I showed up as a teacher, there wasn't even a piece of copy paper. And I'm like, hey, how do I make copies? They're like, oh, you're gonna have to go buy some copy paper. And I'm like, you're not even gonna give me paper? And so a lot of people don't realize that. And so my goal is to find ways that we can turn the funding for these resources to schools instead of teachers. That's when I think I will have really, truly succeeded in my business. And the schools allow teachers to create their own curriculums that don't say you must use this particular one? Uh, depends on the school. And I think that's yeah. frustrating because there are definitely teachers who cannot use our resources without closing the door. And, you know, 
I'm all for administration being really taking an active role in making sure that curriculum is of the highest quality, but ultimately the teacher in the classroom knows her students the best. And she knows how her learners or his learners will do best. So we have to start trusting them as the experts. And so I love the idea of school providing a curriculum, but also telling teachers, hey, you're professionals. And if you need to supplement, feel free to do so. Let us know so that we can help provide you with the resources that you want and need. I think coming up with that balance would be so helpful to teachers because yes, you're right. There are teachers whose schools say, absolutely not. You must do exactly what we said. Every classroom has to be doing exactly the same thing. And that's that's a fine idea if students all learn the same ways, if teachers all taught the same ways, which we don't. We're unique in our teaching style just as students are unique in their learning styles. Yeah. I actually really agree with that. Um, I think schools should allow teachers to teach <laughs> properly. Yes. I think there should there should be a little bit of, I guess, not governance, so to speak, but it, allow teachers to, because they've spent let teachers be at the decision making table. Yeah. You know, maybe there does need to be a decision like oh, we're using this writing curriculum, but we need to bring teachers to the table to put in their two cents to tell us what they need, because they're ultimately the ones who have to carry it out. And too often teachers are not part of the decision making process. And then once we have something, we have to realize that it doesn't have to be written in stone because I might have Johnny in my classroom and he needs something different. And teachers are remarkable that way of figuring that out. We've got to trust them to know that Johnny isn't going to do well with what maybe the rest of the class is doing well with. Johnny needs a little something extra. And that's where my resources, I think, come in handy for teachers is that they just feel like they're really easy to use and they help multiple different learning types, which we have in our classroom, which is great because guess what? In careers, we need lots of different types of learners and you know, also because I said teachers are different, have different teaching styles. That's why students get to have 13 years of, of schooling. You're going to have all different types of teachers along your educational journey. I'm not going to be the only teacher that a student comes into contact with. I'm just one stop on this journey. And they're going to have the great opportunity to have other teachers who teach differently than I do. And that's what's going to make their education complete is the idea that they're not being taught by robots that all have to do things exactly the same way. Speaking of robots, what are your thoughts on AI? Woo. Yeah, you're asking the hard questions today. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> One thing is, AI is not going to go away. So as teachers and honestly, just as human beings, we're going to have to look at the pros and the cons. And there's so many pros to AI, especially for teachers. There's lots of things that AI could do for teachers to help them save time. It can help you to write report card comments. It can help you to write lesson plans. It can help you to summarize things, to take meeting notes, all write emails to parents. I love, I love using AI to write difficult emails. Okay. So great. There are cons, though. I know for secondary teachers, they're finding a lot of their students are going to AI to literally write their essays and do their homework for them. And so we're just going to have to get creative and think, how can we discourage this and how can we tell when someone's done it? But ultimately, we're going to have to get comfortable with AI because it's not going to go away. So we might as well take advantage of the pros and look at ways that we can combat the cons. I think it's interesting how you've got university students using AI to write their own reports and it's the accuracy and lecturers unable to tell whether or not it was from the student. Imagine you got this really, really intelligent student whereby you have an AI write a report and you go side by side to what an actual student would and they're almost identical. Imagine a lecturer trying to figure that out. <laughs> It's, it is. It's going to be a challenge that we just are going to have to accept and learn how to work with because it's just it's not going to go away. There's no way that it's going to go. It's going to get better and better, which can be great for us. And it can be hard, too. So I think for teachers, it's important to look at what can AI help me to do faster? 
so that I can leave the classroom earlier, which is a huge benefit for teachers. But we're also going to have to look at ways that we... There are sites where you can take essays and put them in there and and it will tell you if they think it's been written by AI. These are the types of things we're just going to have to do. Like this is the future. And unfortunately, that is just one of the downsides. That's what I was going to bring up as well. Like if we had AI, can we have another system that combats the AI to say this student is technically cheating? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. And it'll never be perfect because nothing ever is. I think one downside of AI we have to be careful with is that there's so many options now. You can have AI do almost anything for you, but you can go down this rabbit hole and you're using like 10 different websites to all these things. And then you realize it's not actually saving you time because you've gone down this rabbit hole of trying it all. And so I love the idea of setting yourself some time on your calendar to explore the AI options but give yourself a limited time and decide which ones you like the best that would help you to do tasks you already have to do, not adding extra tasks to your calendar, but tasks you already have to do. How, what, which of these sites, which of these tasks do we want to do? And then just bookmark those particular mm-hmm. sites so that, that you aren't going down this huge rabbit hole, which is the internet and wasting even more time and become overwhelmed with the possibilities. Because I know even as an entrepreneur, there's so much AI can do for us but it can also steal your time and your productivity just like anything else online. You're right in saying that the future is here. We better get used to the fact that it is here. It can either get a lot better for us as humans and make human life a little bit easier and simplistic, or it can go the complete opposite. And I think we've just got to be very careful with how we navigate these waters because they're uncharted territory, yeah, especially for absolutely. education. And yeah, I, yeah I, I mean, copyright, there's big, big problems with copyright too. I think it's really important if you're using AI and you should, I think you should get on board because it's not going away. But when you are using AI, is that you're using AI to save you some time but not to do all the work for you. So yeah. instead of having it write the whole report for you, have it come up with an outline and then you can fill in all the blanks to create something that's individually you and your thoughts. And then you're not having to worry about copyright. But honestly, coming up with the outline could save you a ton of time and maybe even bring some ideas to the surface that you hadn't thought about before that can make it a higher quality piece of writing. Yeah. I like that idea. Personally, I haven't actually used AI yet. (laughs) I'm admitting that to a teacher, someone that I'm sure has used it, as well as to my audience, uh, that they're probably going to be like, why haven't you, Jay? I'm just like, I personally couldn't be bothered at the moment. (laughs) It's a lot. It's it's kind of overwhelming. And it feels like, you know, we've had AI for a really long time, but it's become something that just the everyday person can use like basically in December. And then by January it had blown up to something huge. And so I was on maternity leave and I came back from maternity leave and it's like the world had completely changed in two months time. And I'm like, chat, what, what are you talking about? I don't even know. And I had to Google it to figure out what people were talking about. And so, you know, I feel behind too, but it just, it's, it just happened. And so even though it, it's massive and it just feels like something we are going to have to get on board with. I already feel behind. I think there was um, this report talking about the time it took uh, for certain applications, the most famous applications to reach a hundred million users and chat GPT was like the shortest. I think it took not even a few weeks mm-hmm. for it to hit a hundred million users. I mean, like that is, that's a crazy, crazy thought, isn't it? Like it, it overtook Instagram, it overtook TikTok, overtook yeah. all these popular apps. And you're thinking, well, what's next? You know, like what's the what's the future for the educational system if we've got so many people relying on it, using it? So I, I'm just very curious about all this stuff, Jamie. It's just yeah, I'm going. I'm just as curious, and I'm going to help teachers to use AI to increase their productivity. But AI could never replace a teacher. Nah. Uh, but it can 
make their job easier if we're using the right applications to do the things that AI can do well. And I think that in whatever profession your listeners are looking into it is really important, just setting boundaries for yourself so you don't actually decrease your productivity is so important. With the time we have left in this conversation, Jamie, I want to bring more awareness to your new book. It comes out, I believe, April 4th. Is that right? That is correct. So two weeks away? Two weeks from today. Two weeks. As we're recording this. (laughs) There we go. We're recording this for you, the 21st of March, 22nd of March for me. So your new book is called How to Love Teaching Again. I know you've got a lot of different strategies, but are you able to give sort of a brief overview for people to get them excited? Say, hey, I want to fall in love with teaching again. Even though I'm not a teacher, I'm still able to teach people something. (laughs) How do I fall in love with teaching again? Absolutely. So we've already talked about there's major problems in the educational system. It's going to take my voice, my vote, my platform. It's going to take a lot more than just me. It's going to take a movement to make the big changes in education that are necessary. And I hope that this happens in my lifetime. But the reality is there's a teacher going to school tomorrow. Mm. And this teacher, she wanted to be a teacher. or He wanted to be a teacher their whole life. But they're fine. They're miserable because there's so much pressure on their shoulders because they're working so many hours. They don't have time to take care of themselves because of these unrealistic expectations. And so I wrote this book for them. I'm not going to stop fighting for big change, but tomorrow teachers need something they can do. And so inside the book, I'm sharing a lot of time-saving strategies because we found that that's a big area for teachers where they just feel like they're just spending too much time at work. So time-saving strategies, how can we lessen plan and less time using batching techniques so that we can get into the flow instead of task switching so often? I'm teaching that in the book. I'm teaching them about grading and what to grade and what not to grade because, oh my goodness, grading, it's like its own full-time job for a teacher. It's never ending. But I'm really encouraging and giving permission to teachers like, Recycle some of those bad boys. You don't have to grade everything. Also in the book, we're teaching how to make teaching a little less chaotic. If you've ever been in a classroom as a parent, maybe classrooms can just be a lot of chaos. You know, putting like 30 people into one room is just challenging. And then to run centers, to run small groups, to play games, all the things teachers are doing in the classroom can be really chaotic. And after all that noise, all of the questions, teachers go home just so mentally exhausted. So in the book, we're sharing a lot of strategies just to make the everyday in the classroom a little bit less chaotic, a little bit simpler so that you can go home and not feel as tired. I can't make teaching easy. I wish I could. I tell my audience all the time, I wish I had the easy button. I wish I could just give you the easy button. Teaching will always be hard. But I'm just looking for the little things that are going to make a difference and um, sharing them in my book. These are strategies I use. These are strategies I've been sharing with my community for 10 years. And I'm super excited that they're now in the book because more teachers will have the opportunity to read them, learn about them and use them in their classroom. And my hope is more teachers will stay in the classroom because of it. And that will be the little thing that I've been able to do, the little way I've been able to contribute to helping the world of education. What are you most curious about at the moment? You ask the best questions, by the way. <laughs> Honestly, right now, I, I'm i worried. We're seeing teacher strikes as we're recording this. Los Angeles okay. County teachers are on strike. They're the second largest school district in the country. And I'm just curious, what what is society going to do so that that this can stop because I am 100% support them striking because what's happening. But when, when are we going to start valuing education to the point that these strikes are no longer necessary? When are we going to start respecting teachers as professionals? When are we going to do something about education in the state that this is a crisis, literally is a crisis. And I just keep thinking, what more can I do? What 
how can I make a bigger impact? And so we have been reaching out to reporters. We've been asking teachers what they need and then using our voice in our platform to tell decision makers, this is what is needed. And I just keep asking myself, what more can I do? And I wish more people were asking, what can I do? And it could be as simple as respecting your, your children's teacher, bringing in a gift card every now and again, or buying an extra book from the Scholastic Book Fair. It can be simple things like that, but it's also go to the polls and vote. Do your research. Vote for people that are supporting teachers and that teachers are supporting. It's so necessary right now, more than ever before. If we don't do something about it, then I'm fearful what's going to happen in the world of education. Are we are we going to have like kindergarten classes that have 40 kids in it? Are we going to have online school become the norm? What's going to happen? Do you feel like the the ones making the decisions are actually listening? It doesn't feel like it, does it? No. Because we're not we haven't made any great strides in the last several years. So they're not listening yet. But if we all came together, they'd have no choice. So LA teachers are making a big stand. When they don't go into the classroom now, now this is affecting a lot of people. And I hope that people understand and are not angry with the teachers, but I think they're so brave Mm. that they are going to use their bargaining chips to help support workers at their schools. They're saying, no, the cafeteria workers and the nurses and the secretaries and the bus drivers deserve better. We need support staff to do the work of the school. And I think they're so incredibly brave for that. But when more schools start doing that, I don't, I think that the decision makers will have no choice but to listen. Hopefully. Hopefully it's not just a... I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm curious <laughs> if the same thing, honestly. It's just, it's a crazy society that we're living in. It's like it's changed so much in the last, not even couple of months, few years. Absolutely. Since the pandemic, I, yeah. the change pandemic in our community, our teachers are just more exhausted than ever before. And they're more discouraged than ever before. We try to keep a very positive community. But our audience is tired and I'm fearful of what's next. If we don't start listening to them, who's going to educate our children? Mm, the what, government, what? God forbid. That, that, that would be a terrible thing. And so I, I, I keep asking myself, what more, what more can I do? How can I, how can I use this platform? How can I use this business I've created to make huge change, but also to support these teachers tomorrow. What what can I give to them? Sometimes it's a pep talk, but that's just, it's just not enough. And I keep a rack, rack in my brain. What more? You and I both. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, so to speak, really well-versed like you are, but I do have a platform. I do have a love mm-hmm. for teachers. I do want to, voice my my thoughts on things and my curiosity on what's going on what i've been seeing so if i'm seeing it i'm not the only one that's seen the same thing and i think it it does need to change in a in a very different direction than what it's actually heading in mm-hmm. and i'm i'm grateful for people like you Jamie that have the voice that have the audience that have the resources that continue to work hard and I think your book is going to help a lot of teachers just as much as your your website does and all the other resources that teachers are able to go through, go to for the support. So I want to say thank you. That means anything to you. <laughs> it means a lot to me because I'm here and I'm talking on behalf of the hundreds of thousands of teachers in our community. I just happen to be the face right now because honestly they're too busy they're teaching they're grading their lesson planning and i appreciate you using your platform to share share their story i hope it causes a few more people to think what what could my role be and how could i help 
Uh, it might be going to your local school board meeting. It might be appreciating a teacher or a school nearby. It might be um, going to a website such as Donors Choose and donating to some classroom projects. There's lots of things that people like you and I can continue to do. And it might seem small, but when a lot of people do a little bit, it can make a huge difference. There's a compounding effect. Yes, absolutely. It works. Compounding interest, people. That's something that I failed at in in high school, but (laughs) I still know a little bit about it. (laughs) Thanks to my amazing teachers. So there you go, people. Jamie, thank you once again for your time. Go and get a copy of a book. It's How to Love Teaching Again. I believe it's available anywhere books are sold, but I'll make it easy for you. I'll link it below. Go follow Jamie. Pretty much she's not hard to find at all. Jamie Sears and the Not So Wimpy Teacher as well online. But thank you, Jamie, for your time, your wisdom, your advice, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much for having me. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.